What's happening, everybody? My name is Noel, and yes, that means Christmas. And today, uh, we are in week three of a series working our way through the Apostles' Creed, and we are in a very Christmassy section of the Apostles' Creed. And so as we've done every week of this series, and we're going to do every week of the series, I'd like to invite you to stand with us um, and join me in reading the Apostles' Creed. Here we go. You ready? Everybody stand up. All right. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can take a seat. As Christians, we believe in a lot of supernatural things. Uh, the last two weeks, we've seen a lot of these things. Uh, we've talked about the fact that there is a God. That's supernatural, right? We believe that this God created everything out of nothing. At one moment, there was nothing, and then he created everything. That's supernatural. We believe this God, while being one God, exists eternally in three persons, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus Jesus, the Son of God, lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was buried. Then he came back to life on the third day, rose again, ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And we believe that placing our faith in this Jesus, faith which is somehow a gift from him, will grant us eternal life. There's so much supernatural in what we believe. And many of us as Christians will nod our head through knowingly and will accept all of that. And then we get to... He, that's Jesus, was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And internally, a lot of people I've talked to, they get to this point and they're like, well, right? We can say that we believe that God created everything and that Jesus rose from the dead. But if we're honest, deep down inside, many of us who are completely willing to accept all that other supernatural stuff, we waffle a little bit on the virgin birth. But this is a core belief of Christianity. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a very seasonally appropriate passage of Scripture and look at the crazy amount of supernatural stuff here, including the virgin birth. If you have your Bibles, you can flip, tap, swipe, dance, somersault over to Luke 1. And this is where we're going to be the whole time. This is the Christmas passage. Luke 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. 
the story of Jesus' birth starts with another miraculous birth, a supernatural birth. Two old people who had never been able to conceive of a child. And you may remember that from two weeks ago. There was another story like that with Abram in the Old Testament. This is something God does. He's the God of supernatural. And so this guy, Zechariah, in, in Luke's account, he was a priest. And she, his wife, uh, she came from a priestly tribe. And they were good and godly people who didn't have kids. And one day, Zechariah is randomly selected for a huge honor. It's the honor of a lifetime. And here's how random it was. There were 18,000 priests that were divided down into 24 groups of priest and each of these divisions was on duty twice a year and each time that they were on duty one of them was randomly selected to offer incense in the temple and they could only do it one time in their entire lifetime and this old dude Zechariah is randomly selected and he heads into the temple verse 10 At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. By the way, that means that almost every angel you probably have in your house, on your Christmas tree, in your little nativity set, every single one of them is probably not very accurate, unless every time you see it, you freak out, pee your pants, Otherwise, it's not accurate. Anyway, um, uh, Zechariah saw him. He was terrified, overcame with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. What seems random to us Right? 18,000 priests, 24 divisions. One guy randomly selected. He can only do this one time a year or one time in his entire lifetime. It's selected by God. But it seems random to us. But it's supernatural. It was planned by God. One person out of 18,000 gets to burn the incense. And it's an old guy with an old wife who has one big, life-defining, unanswered prayer. He just wants a kid. He's probably been praying for that every day of his life. And the scary angel shows up and says, not only are you going to have a kid, your kid's going to be a big deal. Now this angel has another stop to make. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Check this out. Both Zechariah and Mary, they're warned not to be afraid. 
because this crazy supernatural thing was happening to them. Of course they were afraid. This angel was standing in front of them and the angel was talking to them and the angel was telling them something that supernatural was going to happen in their life. That they were both going to have miraculous supernatural kids. One to a barren couple and one to a virgin. And here's Mary's response, verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? This means exactly what it means. God's people have always known that sex belongs in the exclusive context of marriage. Mary wasn't married yet. As a godly woman, she was waiting till she was married. To us, that alone sounds supernatural, but it was true. She was a virgin, and the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary said. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. He, Jesus, was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And I love Jesus' mom's response. But this translation kind of kills the buzz for me a little bit. <laughs> It says that she said, see, I am the Lord's servant. But in other translations, she says, behold. <laughs> I like that better. It's like saying, yo, <laughs> right? Like, she's like, yo, I am the Lord's servant. So may it happen to me as you have said. That's astonishing. We are so oriented toward controlling our own destiny and making our own choices that this rattles us. It should rattle us. See, here's the deal. Mary didn't ask for this. This was going to cause disgrace in her family. People were not going to believe her. See, we're used to unwed pregnancies. In her culture, this would have been considered shameful. She would gain a reputation, and so would her son. She came from a small town. Everyone knew everybody in her town. She was likely from a very poor family. She was likely engaged to a very poor man. They were just trying to scrape by, and the fact that she was pregnant out of wedlock was going to mean a lot of insults. It was quite possibly in her mind, probably at this moment, uh, going to be potentially the loss of her fiancé. It was going to mean cruel treatment for her, cruel treatment for her son. But she says, yo, <laughs> may it happen to me exactly as you have said. Now, remember, one of the last things the angel told her was about her cousin Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife. What did he say? He said, she is now six months pregnant. So what do we know about Elizabeth? She'd been in hiding. 
She hadn't actually posted her ultrasounds on Instagram. Um, she hadn't hosted a geriatric baby shower or anything, right? So look, verse 39. It says, uh, in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah. I love that, that she hurried. She takes off to see her cousin. And why does she hurry? Because Elizabeth could provide two things for her. The first, validation. If Elizabeth was pregnant, maybe she really was. And Elizabeth could give her comfort because she would be the only person who understood she was possibly the only person in the entire world that knew something about what she was going through. So she travels approximately 60 miles uh, to the hilly area around Jerusalem and she just heads right into the house. That's what it says. Look what it says, verse 40. This is what family does, right? When she entered Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. I think she just barged in the front door because that's what we do with family, isn't it? Uh, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now read this carefully. What does it say? It says, not when the baby heard Mary's voice, when Elizabeth heard Mary. Now watch this whole couple of sentences and I'll tell you what I think is going on. What do we know about Elizabeth's baby John? Well, back in verse 15, when Gabriel was talking with um, his dad, he says he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So John has the Holy Spirit. Now, Elizabeth, it says, is filled with the Holy Spirit with the arrival of Mary, right? And so you've got one person with the Holy Spirit inside the womb of another person filled with the Holy Spirit and Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit shows up inside of his mom's womb and the baby number one is like, yo, and jumps at baby number two and it's like a Holy Spirit party, right? <laughs> Look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth here is acknowledging that there is a new reality. This isn't just her young cousin, Mary. Remember, she's an old lady. Mary's a teenager right? They're years apart, but she's her little cousin. And normally the respect would go which direction? From the young teenager to the old lady. And now it goes the other way. Why? Because Mary is the mother of Elizabeth's Lord Jesus. And it is possible that Elizabeth is the very first one to believe in Jesus. I think she is. She explains to Mary what was going on with her. Verse 44. For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Who is the she she's talking about here? Mary. What's Elizabeth saying? She said, Mary, you believe what's going on. Don't you? Even though Mary was coming to Elizabeth to help validate what's going on, right? She knows that Mary believes. And notice something really significant. In the last verse here, Elizabeth mentions what? That Mary's baby is the Lord. 
she mentions that Mary believes what was spoken to her from the Lord. In other words, Elizabeth is acknowledging a Trinitarian God. God the Father is doing his will here. Jesus is the Son who will be born. And she knows this because of the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Lord, God, has communicated this to her. The entire scene was exactly the affirmation Mary was going for, exactly the understanding that she needed. And and the reaction that she has is the very first Christmas carol. We're going to look at it here. It is, I'm going to just read the whole thing. It's often called the Magnificat because of what Mary says in here. But this is a song that Mary burst into. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to work through it chunk by chunk. Just listen to this. Starting in verse uh, 46. And Mary said, or Mary sang, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Let's work through Mary's song. She sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This song is often called the Magnificat because of this line where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What is magnifies? What is a magnifying glass, right? It makes something larger than it actually is. It is like what my glasses do, right? These are my reading glasses. It makes something larger than it is so that I can see it because I'm old. So how in the heck can Mary's soul magnify the Lord? How can her tiny little soul make God any bigger than he is? That's the beauty of this word. It gives us a visual picture of what is happening inside of Mary. Just like a magnifying glass, the object isn't actually any bigger, right? But it sure seems like it when you're holding out that magnifying glass. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life where God all of a sudden just seems so big? He's not any bigger than he was the second before you realized it. She honored God big time before, but now, having had this conversation with Elizabeth, deep inside of her, she honors God even more. She rejoices even more in God, she says, my Savior. See, Mary must have had some good theological education. She knew that one day a Savior would come. Why? Because she knew that she has the greatest need that every one of us has, and that is a need for someone to come and save us from our sin. Her spirit rejoices because the Savior has come and her soul is just bursting into song because he has looked with favor 
on the humble condition of his servant. Mary is just blown away that God would use her. And this is the story of the gospel. Through Jesus, God uses the unlikely to save the unlikely. (laughs) He uses, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 1, what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God uses what is weak in this world to shame the strong. Every culture has haves and have-nots. Every culture has those with privilege and those without it. This creates squabbles. It creates massive community-wide tensions. The entire tragic situation uh, um, (laughs) that happens in our world constantly highlights this for us. We see this picture over and over. And in the first century, Jews were looking for a Messiah. But they weren't looking for an underprivileged, unwed teenage girl. Mary rejoices because God used the humble. This has everything to do with social status. Mary goes on and she unfolds this in her song. She says, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. Now notice what Mary doesn't say. She doesn't say, from now on, everyone's going to call me blessed because I'm awesome. (laughs) She doesn't say, from now on, everybody's going to call me blessed because I deserve this. Or anything like that. She says, because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. The reason she'll be called blessed is because God's name is holy. That's the essence of his being. Holy means to be something that's completely other. We are sinful. He is sinless. We have mixed motives. And he is pure and righteous in everything he does. And this holy God is also mighty, as we saw a couple weeks ago. He is all-powerful. He could have chosen any way he wanted to save the world. A lot of people say, well, God should save the world this way. If God was truly God, he would do it that way. But we need to realize that when we tell God what he ought to do, our motives are tainted. Our our perspective is skewed, but he is pure and righteous in all of his motives. And so what does he do with his pure and righteous motives? He enters the world tenderly as a little baby. Instead of tossing the earth into the sun, he lives the sort of life we could never muster up our own. And instead of sending every person into eternal damnation, he is executed on the cross so all who believe in him might be saved. And so, we look to Mary, Jesus' mom, and we call her blessed because he is holy. His mercy It's from generation to generation. And those who fear him, on those who fear him, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. I mean, we all know how obsessed with ourselves we are, aren't we? I don't have to get into the prevailing narcissism in our world or selfie culture. (laughs) 
But on the other side, we've got ridiculously high-paid athletes and business leaders. And, and when he says right here, the thoughts of our hearts, it's showing how, how, how different we are than God. That God has shown the strength with his arm. He's done a mighty deed with his arm. Do you want to arm wrestle God? Throughout scripture, well, we're shown that who he opposes are the proud, the, the arrogant, the haughty. Three times in Mary's song now, she has mentioned the fact that God's strength is used against those who rely it or, or, or who rely on themselves, on their own wisdom, on their own might. Notice how she continues this theme. She said, and he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Lowly. That's the same word she used to describe herself, but she's not making this about herself. Instead, what she is saying is that what God has done for her is consistent with his character. We see throughout Scripture that, that God brought down Nebuchadnezzar, right? And, and, and God brought down Pharaoh. And, and Jesus ends up rebuking his disciples when they wanted to claim his throne. And, and that would be easy. Uh, to, to, it would be so easy for us to let this turn into bad theology that says God loves the poor and the downtrodden more than he loves the rich. But that's not what he's saying. We have to get a right balance on this. What he's saying is, he speaks to the, those on the bottom social rungs that they are not worse than anyone else on the top rungs and telling the, those on the top rungs that they are not better than anyone below them. What, what, what God does is he levels the playing field by reminding the rich that their wealth and power are not God. And he reminds the poor that he is the one who provides. Look what he says, or she sings in her, in her song. Mary sings, he has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. We have to wrestle with this. There's this picture of haves and have-nots that has always been, and it is a good reminder to us, especially uh, during the holiday season. In fact, unfortunately, it's the only time we tend to think about it, Right? But notice what he doesn't say. Mary doesn't sing. He gives hungry lots of food. The phrase good things conjures up pleasing and useful stuff. The picture here is that God provides for those in need and those who think they have everything they could want. And so they're trusting in themselves. And what he does is he shows these people that what they have is nothing and shows these people that the nothing that they have is something in him. Both of these actions of God are a mercy to them. Mary continues to sing, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham. Remember Abraham, the, the childless one that we covered a couple weeks ago? And his descendants forever just as he spoke to our ancestors. See, what had happened is 2,000 years before the time of Mary, God had promised that he would send a Savior, that through Abraham's line, a seed would be born. And now, 
that Savior had arrived. It's interesting because we find in the canon of Scripture that for hundreds of years until this moment, God had been silent. All they had were God's promises. He wasn't speaking through his prophets anymore for hundreds of years. And then angelic voices burst onto the scene and Jesus is humbly born as a baby. The pomp and circumstance of the angels were reserved for a couple of dirty shepherds. <laughs> there wasn't any fanfare to Jesus' actual birth. He lived a normal life and he faced normal temptations and, and he had normal sufferings. But because he never sinned, his temptations became abnormally large. His suffering became abnormally excruciating until he died on the cross for the sins of the world. And interestingly, it's been another 2,000 or so years since Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father and promised that he would return. And just like for them, it'd be easy for us to give up because God's not audibly speaking to us again. <laughs> but he is not silent. We have his word of God, which tells us about his son Jesus. In fact, this, this praise of God the Father by Mary was in many ways a praise that her God and her Son would bring these things to pass through the power of the Holy Spirit. And right now, you can know this. That same Holy Spirit is working in you. So today, as we enter into this Christmas week, we can declare the same things that Mary sang in her song. We all need a savior. God uses humble servants like us. God does great things for us. His name is holy. His mercy is given to those who fear him. He scatters the proud, topples the mighty, exalts the lowly, he satisfies the hungry. He sends the rich away empty, does that for their own good. And so we, along with Mary, can declare that he, Jesus, was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born to the Virgin Mary. We celebrate these truths every Christmas. They aren't a myth, they aren't a fairy tale. They're supernatural, but these things are facts. And Mary treasured these things and acted on them. And my prayer is that we will too. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We thank you that you are a God that still does miracles the miracle of saving, that you are a God that still lifts up the lowly and reminds them that in your eyes they are something and knocks the powerful down a couple pegs to remind them that they are not God. We thank you that that is a good mercy to both. 
as we enter into this last week before Christmas, we just pray that we would reflect on Mary's song, that we would remember that mercy is given to those who fear God. And so we just place our faith in Jesus as we celebrate his birth this week. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.